It's Thursday, June 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. It's always a pleasure. Um, we've got some news, which is a good thing. Because it's not really earnings season, so we're happy when the news fairy shows up, as sure. the news fairy has done, and we'll dip into the full mailbag. Let's start, though, with a company we haven't talked about for a while, and that is SodaStream. Shares up around 7% this week on the announcement that the company is launching its new home beer system <laughs> called the Beer Bar. They are starting with a light beer called Blondie. It contains 4.5% alcohol by volume, which is sort of the the average, your basic beer around the globe. And one liter of the Blondie concentrate, a one liter bottle, will yield you about three liters of beer. Someone's optimistic about this. If they're bidding the stock up, what do you think? Well, maybe. I mean, I don't know if they're as optimistic as it was just that the stock was really in the tank and anything would have really made it go up. Um, I I applaud the effort. I really do. I mean, I think this is at least in their wheelhouse of of beverages, and you like to see companies stick to what they know. Um, ultimately, though, this is a business that's really trying to find any way possible to remain relevant. It wasn't all that long ago that we felt like. SodaStream was an interesting story because people like soda. We're starting to become a bit more environmentally sensitive. We don't like all the bottles and cans, and this was a way you could sort of bring that into your house and not have to lug twelve packs of cans or bottles around all the time. You know, the flip side of that is it's another thing on your counter. You still have to go out and get these CO two cartridges, and in so the pessimist in me kind of felt like, well, I could see getting one, and then just. It's sitting there collecting dust, and that sounds like what is really happening. Generally speaking, here domestically, this has always been a very good success story overseas, which is where everything really started for SodaStream. And the thesis on this as an investment was bringing that success here um, domestically. I have a really hard time believing that this beer product takes off in any capacity. What really blows my mind. Is that it's only available in Germany and I think uh, Sweden? Is it Germany and Switzerland? It's Germany and Switzerland. Well, that's only good. Available- now Germany for like <laughs> those of you out there, it's tantamount to the home of beer. Basically, I was just gonna say thank God because uh, I know in Germany they have a really tough time getting good beer. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I can't. I can't. Imagine that anybody in Germany. I mean, maybe they gave this thing some research, and maybe people in Germany really do want this product. I, I really find that kind of hard to believe, but I'm, I'm relatively certain that given the, the craft brew uh, boom that we've been witnessing here in the states, that this gets really any legs at all. Doesn't it seem like? I'm sorry to generalize, but I'm going to. Doesn't it seem like uh, frat houses in the United States <laughs> would be a target market here? Seriously, like, uh, like the one thing. I'm not a beer drinker, but I looked at this and I thought, okay, as you said, this is very much they're they're staying in their lane. This isn't SodaStream saying, guess what? We've launched a new snack line. No, they're sticking. <laughs> they're sticking to what they know. They're sticking to beverages. So the cracker you know, maker. <laughs> yeah. So so check that box. Two. I'm not a beer drinker, so I'm never going to make my own beer. But I could see for some people who think ah, I'm interested in making my own beer, but that's I don't want to go buy the kit and go. This is this is a quick way to do that. So it, it 
All right, Chris. It has potential, but... I am a beer drinker, as you know, and I enjoy uh, imbibing on occasion. And I, I like drinking good beer. I mean, I like trying all sorts of different kinds of beers, and I think it's a lot of fun. Now, I will say, um, your point to college, I don't think you can make this stuff fast enough to where it would actually work. Because in college... They're drinking beer like water, man. That's right. And this is just, you can't produce it fast enough. It's going to be easier. And they really don't care. They're just trying to figure out the quickest way from point A to point B. And I don't think this is necessarily it. So you have beer lovers, I think, that will likely never give this thing a shot in mass, at least. I think maybe some people would try it. But I don't think it would be something that really witnessed any real sustainable success. Now, on the other side of that coin, I like that you brought in the people who like to make beer. Because, Chris, as it so happens, back in my college days in the early 1990s, I and my roommates actually made beer. And we went to um, a store about an hour away from school where homebrewing was just taking off. And we thought, hey, this is cool. Let's try it. So we bought the kit, bought the uh, not you know, bought all of the equipment. It wasn't like one of those beer in a box things. I mean, we bought all of the equipment, you know, a few of the recipes, the ingredients, and all of this stuff. We learned how to boil the wort, mix it all together, pitch the yeast, and and so my point is, I think the people that love to brew their own beer, they know it's not easy to to make a good product, and part of the fun is the process of it. It is, it's like chemistry, and for those of us who aren't very good at science but really like it, like me. Uh, it's it's kind of a way to be scientific and then really enjoy the fruits of your labor. And so I think that people who really enjoy making beer are not going to give this thing even a second glance. And so I, I just think they're really stuck between a rock and a hard place. Where it's a neat idea, and and I'm sure that some people will try it. I cannot fathom this witnessing any sustainable success, though. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. You can follow the show on Twitter at MarketFoolery is our handle. Got a question from Wildcat Radio, which uh, is, as I understand it, University of Arizona Sports. I was going to so think so. There's uh, a website and uh, a podcast. So hey, if you're if you're a fan of the Arizona Wildcats, you might want to check out Wildcat Radio. The question being, or the comment on Twitter, love the show. Markel has been a stock mentioned before. Can you highlight any major risks with the company? That's a great question. I think for any business. Yeah. That's a great. That's a great way to approach any, any business and any stock you're thinking about. So, in terms of Markel, for those unfamiliar, often referred to as the baby Berkshire Hathaway, diversified insurance business. They've got the investment portfolio, very well run by the Markel family and Tom Gaynor, the chief investment officer. Yeah, I think when you look at that as an investment idea, and I remember all the way back to when I was, just, a member of of a few foolish services in the. I guess it was mid 2000s and Markel was was still was very much on the radar back then because there are so many qualities of the business that we like. I th- I think that any business is going to offer any investment's going to offer a risk reward sort of profile and it's you just try to figure out where can we sort of offer the best possible return scenario for investors. And with Markel I think it's pretty high up there because generally speaking insurance is always needed. But what Markel does that I think is really interesting is um, they they focus on specialty insurance, so they're basically underwriting things that that a lot of people won't touch. They're doing something different, as we like to say in investing, and that's really how you can win in the long term is by doing something different. I think if you're looking for risks, uh, they do carry higher equity interests in their asset structure. In other words, a lot of insurers 
maintain very high fixed income profiles, partly because they have to. The regulations for insurance companies that you know mandate that they have to. Um, but you mentioned Tom Gaynor, chief investment officer, very good investor. He's spoken here a number of times. And so they feel like the opportunity is there for them to take advantage of a higher equity uh, profile to, to juice those returns. And and it's worked out. They also have a wing of the business called Markel Ventures, where they, where they buy small businesses and kind of roll them into this little portfolio of their own wholly owned businesses, a la Berkshire Hathaway. And, that, and that's doing very well. But that also presents some risk because they're making these investments into businesses and really thinking that they can see a market opportunity to run them well or bring them in the family. Uh, a couple of bad purchases there could could uh, create some uncertainty. And I think that um, leadership is probably one of the bigger risks as well. I mean, we like Tom Gaynor a lot, and they made this really interesting acquisition a little while back of Altera, which initially was sort of a question mark. Um, but they saw a lot of value in that, and it turns out they were very much right. I mean, the stock has more or less doubled, I think, from that time. Uh, if Tom Gaynor ever left, which I, I don't think any of us expect that to happen, I think Tom Gaynor would love to be able to retire from Markel, uh, like you said, family-run business. But that would definitely be another risk. I, I personally, as a Markel shareholder, I, I these are shares that I intend to hold indefinitely, unless something serious like that comes up. I think this is one of those lower-risk, one of the highest quality businesses out there. And so, from a risk profile, I wouldn't be worried too much about any of the things that I've just mentioned. They're a Virginia company, right? They, they are, yeah, Richmond? based down in Richmond. Been yeah. down in the annual meeting there a couple times, and uh, just always fun. You know, They have a good event there, and then they also have a good breakfast or brunch the following day from the Berkshire Hathaway meeting. And, I mean, you can tell this, this Wait team... Wait At the Berkshire Hathaway meeting in Omaha, yeah, Markel has their own separate... Yeah, they do a brunch the day after... Where it's it's kind of like an annual meeting, but they're just bringing along the investing enthusiasts and the the Berkshire lovers and the Markel lovers because they're all very similar and and um, there's always something good to learn there. But uh, yeah, I think I think this the baby Berkshire name that we've given it is is very fitting. I mean, we don't we don't throw that throw that out there lightly. Chip Wilson is the founder of Lululemon Athletica. He stepped down as chairman of the board in February of 2015, and thankfully has resurfaced. <laughs> thankfully <laughs> this, for us. Thankfully for us. <laughs> and I don't know about Lululemon, but uh, this week uh, he put out a letter criticizing the current board of directors, saying that the company didn't have the right leadership to, quote, win in the current global multi-channel and dynamic environment, and he's looking for changes now. We've had fun with Chip Wilson in the past, sure, because uh, he's someone who has demonstrated uh, a, a tremendous ability to put his foot in his mouth <laughs> time and time again. And yet, let me, let me play devil's advocate for just a second here. Chip Wilson owns about fourteen percent of this company, so he, even though he's not involved in the board anymore, he has a very vested interest in the company's success. Absolutely, and. He points out the recent performance of the company relative to Nike and Under Armour, which is in some ways unfair because those are those are two phenomenal companies and are not in exactly the same business as Lululemon Athletica, but there is enough overlap there and there is clearly competition there. He raises some points that if it were someone else, 
if Starboard or, you know, if someone else, if anybody else <laughs> came forward and said, I own a chunk of this company, here are what my concerns are. He makes some points that are not invalid. I, I and think, yet it's coming from Chip Wilson. I, yeah, I mean, there's that caveat, right? You have to... Um... You ha- you have to you have to throw that caveat in there. I think it was really funny the beginning of the letter. And I mean, I'll read it. It says at the very beginning, as many of you know, I founded Lululemon and remain its largest shareholder with almost fourteen point two percent of the company's shares. I asked the board to allow me ten minutes to address my fellow shareholders at this year's annual general meeting. They denied me that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, there aren't many places I think where you would say like. A person with that kind of an interest just wants to politely get up for ten minutes and say, "Hey, I just want to voice some concerns." The annual meeting is kind of a place where investors get to say stuff, and they're like, "Nope, we don't even want to hear it." That, I was going to say that absolutely tells you what they think of Chip Wilson. It does because we've seen, I mean, every few months there's a story about either a company or an individual. Or a fund has acquired far less than fourteen percent. They've got six percent of this company, and and they're agitating for change, and they get respect from the board. Yeah, and I mean, also he's a founder, you know. So it's it's you really. I mean, he's not done himself any favors, but truthfully, I feel like management should have given him the opportunity to speak at the meeting like that because really, what they they did themselves no favors because then he puts this letter out and it creates more news. Let's go back to the issue at hand, though. So, Lauren Potdevin, who's the current CEO of the company, took over on January 1st of 2014. I think Chip Wilson is, he's, I don't want to say he's cherry picking his data, but I think he's presenting a picture that's not fully, uh, it, it doesn't take into account everything. Because right when Potdevin took over, you can see, if you look at the chart for the stock itself, going back to when Potdevin took over to now, I mean, it has trailed the market slightly, but there was that period of time after Potdevin took over when the when when the stock really started tanking because of the results that it started turning in subsequently. Potdevin wasn't responsible for those results. I mean, those were results that were under Chip Wilson's watch, really. Um, so, so that's where I kind of feel like, well, okay, he's presenting a little bit of a unique case there. But with that said, I mean, I think. I think the comparisons to Nike and Under Armour are apples and oranges because Nike and Under Armour are far more than just sort of the perceived niche play that Lululemon is. I mean, Lululemon was and still is to to most people's minds that expensive yoga company, and they had a snafu there where you could see through their pants. That's what people remember in this stuff from Chip Wilson. The reason why the stock did so well, yeah, and Chip Wilson coming out and saying, "Well, you know, some women shouldn't wear our <laughs> yeah, stuff." I mean, like, yeah, it, it, another good example of where he just kind of stepped in. And I mean, I I like the guy's candor, honestly. I kind of I feel like we probably don't get enough of that in this world, but um, you have to be willing to at least deal with the ramifications of things like that. And we're probably seeing that for him now. Um, well, and the other thing is, he, he, when he cites, as he did in this letter, when he cites the stock performance relative to Nike and Under Armour, and he's he's going after the board, keep in mind, for half of the time frame that he is highlighting, he's chairman of the board. <laughs> it's like, dude, you are arguably the most powerful person in the room. Possibly. Although, I, I think I think the Board members have to be that has to be taken with a little bit of grain of salt too, right? I mean, if you think about it in simplest terms, really, board members are just incented to just nod their heads and go along, right? 
hey, I'm going to give you $80,000 to sit in a room here and just kind of agree. Most people want to just agree. Um, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's what a lot of people will tend to do, and they won't necessarily give board members that same sort of credence as they would like an executive. But, um, yeah, Nike, completely different story. Much bigger, further, much, much more established. I mean, that's just not even a comparison. I think that's ridiculous. Under Armour is a better comparison because Under Armour is only about two years older, still founder led from a, a very boisterous, uh, and some would say cocky CEO and Kevin Plank. I, I, I think, hey, I mean, I, I don't look at him as cocky as much as I do, just very confident. And I think the results speak for themselves. And I think that Under Armour was founded with a different premise and a far larger market opportunity than than Lululemon was. And so, Lululemon hasn't been able to develop a brand that transcends the initial product, yoga wear. And investors thought that might be the case. You had this business that was very young, it was growing fast, and it had pricing power thanks to a pretty strong brand and loyal customer base. And what has happened through the years, and Chip Wilson is definitely responsible for this, is that they have lost pricing power. Margins have have been hurt because of that, and uh, certainly the the business has been uh, on the receiving end of some pretty brutal stories, partly due to things that he's done. Um, so, so I appreciate him wanting to get out of here and say this. I think that Lululemon's manager probably should have just let him say it at the meeting. But I don't think he has much of a case here. I think that really what they're trying to do is uh, bring this business back into relevance and make it make it uh, give it a better a bigger market opportunity with a longer runway to grow. That doesn't happen overnight. Retail is a brutal environment anyway. Um, you really have to have a brand that resonates with the consumers, a product that they believe in. And Lululemon had that once. I don't think they have it now. They're trying to get that back. It's just not so easy to do. One other thing that they had during that great run was they had Christine Day running that company. Yeah, that's a good point. And she was a phenomenal CEO. And I remember we talked about this when she was leaving, (laughs) and we all sat around this table. We're like, I don't know who's going to be the next CEO of Lululemon, but holy cow, did they have an unbelievably tough act to follow? Yeah, and I—I mean, how long was was Chip Wilson CEO of the business ever? He's a founder. I'm. I mean, he's been on the board. I don't know if he was ever CEO, but to your point, I, mean, I remember speaking about Christine Day and thinking, wow, she'd done a lot of good things. Yeah. Um, I think that Chip Wilson, as the founder of the business, really, again, I appreciate his passion, but I don't think that's worked out for him so well. And I mean, because the flip side there is you see a, a, a CEO, a founder of a business who's just as passionate, I think, in Kevin Plank, plays cards a bit differently. And you can see the results are obviously uh, miles apart. Thanks for being here. Happy birthday, Beetlejuice. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.